All right, everybody, we're going to get going with uh, the message this morning. And uh, I do want to say thank you to Brad and Megan for uh, orchestrating a very encouraging uh, Father's Day gift and uh, time to honor the fathers. I'm a dad, and uh, I'm a proud dad. I had two graduates this year, uh, actually two graduates this week. Uh, my son David graduated high school, and Jack uh, is now an eighth grade graduate going in to be a shot freshman at Memorial next year. Um, but I'll tell you what, being a dad is, uh, it's probably the most, one of the most difficult things I've ever embarked upon. It's a, it's a long, it's a long endeavor, right? And uh, it's certainly a very, an extremely challenging thing to do. Uh, you, it's, it's a humbling endeavor, right? You have high expectations for yourself that, that don't really come through. You see your own weaknesses, and then your kids challenge the tar out of you uh, over time. And uh, the good thing about that is, is uh, the good thing about that is, as I've grown as a parent, I now have you know a, an adult son, 18. Uh, I, my level of gratitude for my own mom and dad has grown exponentially. And my level of gratitude toward God has really expanded uh, because the patience it takes to parent well uh, is something God knows a uh, hundred times over as he deals with his children, uh, you and I, here on this earth. And so we're going to actually talk about that today. I thought uh, to keep with our new tradition uh, in the church here that I'd maybe do a Mother's Day type sermon for Father's Day. Some of you get that, uh, others of you don't. What happened in, uh, last month was Mother's Day, and, and Grayson came up with a wonderful Father's Sermon uh, somehow, but uh, I thought better than that, and two wrongs don't make a right, so we're just going to keep the, keep the plan. But we're going to talk today actually about God and His, His, His patience, and what a wonderful quality that is as we continue our study on the Old Testament uh, we're going to kind of dive in and just kind of take a, uh, one little chapter in the book of Judges today. We're going to talk about a man named Gideon and his interactions with God uh, as they work things out. And so on one hand, we have God's patience, and I want, you, I want to take a look at that theme throughout uh, and how God worked with Gideon despite Gideon's inadequacies and despite his lack of faith at times. And then on the other hand, to see and take a look at these questions that Gideon had uh, as he dealt with his own doubt and at times his own lack of faith. And so let's have a prayer and we'll get into uh, Judges chapter, one, uh, chapter 6. Uh, God, it is a great morning and you are the awesome Father. And uh, we thank you for all that you do, all the, the, all the ways that you, uh, that you look over us, that you tend to us, that you take what we give you and make the best out of it. Uh, thank you for those ways. Thank you for your patience. Uh, Father, lead this sermon today. Help your word come alive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. You know, it's pretty natural for anyone who's ever pursued a, a connection with God to have a desire for assurance along the way that He is there, right? That He is, that he is with us. That uh, as we go through life, we want to know that, man, our, our investment to be close to God is reciprocated with, okay, yes, I'm sure that He's right there uh, along with us. And, and, and sometimes uh, we, 
I think this is especially true when we make large decisions in life or when we face times of transition, right? Those are the times I know in my walk, I want to know, man, God, are you with this? Is this the right thing, right? So we do different things. We can, we can pray to God and, you know, lift things up to him. We can ask God for things like, I've often used the, the term, God, or the, the phrase, open a door, right? Like, give me a sign and that sort of thing. Uh, but this, this often involves big decisions in life. Things like, who should I marry? Is this the right person for me, right? Uh, where do I go to school? What kind of education should I pursue? God, I don't want to waste all my time going after this when it's really this I should be doing. Please give me a sign. I think about, is it time to have children? Where, where, where should we move? Should we buy this house? Or should we live in that neighborhood? Those are big decisions that, you know, kind of have large, a large impact on our lives. Uh, should I enter into the ministry or do something radical for God, like move to a, a place where a church needs help or go on a church planting? Those are times where, man, we want to desperately know that God, we hear God's voice and we do God's will, right? Um, Oftentimes we do. We go to the length of asking God to open doors or give us a sign. Has anybody ever done that, right? So in a very extreme instance here we see in, with Gideon, he's actually asking God, he's putting out a fleece, it's called. And that's, that's kind of extraordinary from just asking God for a sign. That's, that's asking God to like defy the laws of nature to ordain a certain decision, right? And so Gideon, I appreciate Gideon because he's not a perfect guy. Uh, he wasn't really calling out to God for anything. He was minding his own business, and all of a sudden, God had a plan for him, and he had a lot of questions, right? And he's the only judge in the book of Judges where we really get a look at, like, his struggle with his faith and, like, his doubts and how he navigated through them. So as we read this uh, in, book, in the book of Judges, let's, let's, let's lock in. Let's see if, let's see if we can glean things. Uh, from Gideon. So let's read in, in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. So a little bit of backstory here as we get into this. The Israelites, it says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so verse 1 through 10, I have a lot of text to read this morning, so I'm going to paraphrase this first part. But we know that, we know that the, uh, the Israelites had a history of ups and downs throughout the Bible, right? And so in the book of Judges, this is actually in, in the early part of Judges, but it's their third down, if you will. The last one invo involved Deborah, who kind of freed them uh, with her faith. And here we are right before Gideon shows up, and the Israelites go through a period that I assume is at least 10 years, probably significantly more than that, where they decide they're going to go against God. They decide, you know what, it's the God who brought us out of Egypt and gave us all these things, but you know what? We want a little bit more right now. And so they start to sort of adapt, or adopt the gods of the neighboring countries, the Midianites in this case. And they were into worshiping Baal, and they, they made these Asherah poles, right? And Baal had to do with, the, like, he was supposedly in control of the weather and therefore the agriculture. And the Asherah poles had to do with sensuality and love and all sorts of sinful practices that, that went around that. And so over time... Israel had, had forsaken God, and now they're, they're worshiping these idols just as their neighbors had been. And what, what these idols were at the core was really just, uh, in essence, asking for getting, getting, getting a short-term pleasure out of their pursuit in God. 
in, in these gods, if you will, versus the long-term character that's built with following God. And so for seven years, God's like, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm giving you over to the hands of the Midianites. And so we read in verse, in verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so Israelite cry, Israel cries out to God. They're like, God, we need your help. And what we learn here is that it was more of a cry of God, free us from our pain, than it was a, a cry of God, we understand we messed up big time and we want to take responsibility for it, help us out, right? And we learn that as the story goes on, but they have this sort of, uh, they have this sort of worldly sorrow uh, behind it. Enter, uh, enter Gideon, it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <clears throat> Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? See, apparently Gideon hadn't like absorbed what God had just said a few verses earlier. <laughs> where God gave him very specific reason why this has all happened, but he's, he wants some assurance, I guess. I don't know. And he says, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. So Israel continues this pattern of ups and downs, and finally they decide to try to repent, and a short time later, we're introduced to this guy, Gideon. He's a young man who seems to be making the best of a bad situation, right? He's engaged in making, you know, trying to get food, essentially. And so what was going on in that time is the Midianites, every year, Israel would, they're in the promised land. It's the land of milk and honey, right? They're planting their gardens. They're, they're planting their fields. They all come up. And it would be like if you planted your garden out in your backyard and you worked hard all pulling the weeds and getting the fruit to grow. And right as you were ready to like reap the harvest, your neighbor came through and went, excuse me, grabbed all your stuff, put it in bushel baskets, took it away and torched it and maybe shot your dog. You're like, okay, <laughs> see you next year. And you're like, what? So all this, this is going on for seven years to the whole country. And so, in a sense, they, they're enslaved to the Midianites, but the Midianites are apparently smart. They're like, let's have them do the work. Leave them right where they're at. Let them do their thing. And when it's time and the, and the, the harvest is ripe, we'll go in there, knock it out, and take care of this, right? And so it's getting to that point in the eighth year here. And so, uh, and finally, Israel is sick of it. They're like, hey, we see a pattern here. What's going on? And so they cry out to God, right? And they're, 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 they're wanting help. And God reminds them of their personal responsibility in all this, right? He says, you haven't listened to me, you guys. I said to you in verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you haven't listened to me. The angel makes it clear then to, to Gideon that 
I've got a special plan for you in helping rescue Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And so this young man seems to be, again, making the best of a bad situation. This angel comes in and all of a sudden he starts asking questions. And apparently Gideon hadn't heard uh, back from the prophet in verse 10 because he asked, why has this happened to us? And, but, if you really knew, but if you really know God, you understand uh, this is a fundamentally flawed question. Why is this happening to me, right? Um, at, at a point in all of our Christian lives, we can take the worst thing in our lives and look up to God and say, but God, why is this happening to me? Like, why is this? Why did this loved one hurt me? Why is my heart broken? Why is cancer why, a thing? Why did I lose somebody? Why did the planes hit the Twin Towers? Why is there starvation? Why, you know, there's something we can point to that can beg the question, but we got to understand that spiritually, fundamentally spe speaking, that's a flawed question. If we really know God, we understand that's the wrong question. God doesn't want us to be concerned about prosperity today and making us feel good. He wants us to conform us to the likeness of Christ as we live our lives. And so for us to sit and spend our time and our effort wondering why this, why that, why this circumstance, it, it's, it's, it's out of the entire mindset of the, the, the one that God invites us to is, is, is his children. Does that make sense? But what Gideon's really asking is, God, do you really care about us? That's his doubt, really. God, do you really care? In light of all this, prove to me, do you really care about this? It's a common question we all face. Do you really care about us? So immediately we learn that Gideon is something other than like this fully open vessel, right? He's, he's receptive to God's plan and God's word, but he's got questions, he's got issues, and, 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 and God's willing to work with that anyways. Verse 14, amen for that. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Gideon's asking for a sign. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait for your return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an epaph of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and his broth in a pot. He brought it out. He's running back out and offered them, offered them to him underneath the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat in the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that the angel of the Lord, that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abizrites. 
So Gideon asks this second question, and what he's really asking is, God, do you really know what you're doing? Right? The angel says, go in the strength you have, I'm sending you, right? And he replies, but how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest and I'm the least in my family. Perhaps, God, you're not quite in step with the times. You're maybe a Deuteronomy, God, but times have changed. We're in the book of Judges. Get with the times. You got the wrong one. I'm not the guy, right? Is essentially what Gideon is telling God. On the other hand, despite Gideon's doubts, he's still receptive. So Gideon's got all these doubts, and he's kind of challenging the wisdom of this angel. Maybe he's not quite sure, is this God himself? Because really, by rights, he knew enough about old you know, like law to know that he should fry like a fish for looking at an angel of the Lord, right? So maybe he's got a little piece of doubt like, huh, since I'm intact here, are you... Are you really? I don't know. So he's, he's wrestling with the whole thing. But what we do know is he's receptive. He's just not just like, okay, get out of my wine press. I'm done with this. I got blah, 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 blah. I got stuff to do. Right? He's like, Gideon at his core knows that, man, there's something more he's missing. There's some, God's trying to get his attention, and maybe this is the way he's doing it. So he's clued in. And he puts his feeble faith into action, and he builds an altar right there. Right? So that angel had to be thinking, all right, man, this is going to be working. Now, from God's perspective, you have to understand this, this nation had been a pagan nation. It was Israel, but this young man, Gideon, had grown up in a, in a, in a world that was not God's way. It was not like he was constantly being told about God and had his family like practicing worship of God. They were worshiping false idols. So from God's perspective, God's like, these are my people, but they barely know me anymore. Like, there's a spark, and I got to fan this thing into flame, or we're all in trouble. I got to figure out a different plan, right? And so Gideon puts his feeble faith into action. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions, but are you going to do it, right? Right before church, I knew Will was going to be reading, and I'm going to put him on the spot uh, without his permission, but I knew Will was going to be reading... And I'm like, dude, you reading the scripture today? He's like, yeah. And I said, this is a word of God, dude. I want you to come with the goods. He goes, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, okay. And I'm like, you got to get up there and read the Bible with power. He goes, I'll think about it, right? <laughs> Same thing as Gideon right there. Now, if you notice, Will did a pretty nice job of belting that verse out. He had his doubts, right? He was like, I don't know, man. You might, you might be right, but probably not. You know, in grand will fashion, but he came up here and knocked it out. That's kind of what Gideon was doing. I got questions, man. I got doubts. Hey, man, what about this and that? But then action occurs, and that's okay. I like that in my life to know that, man, there's room for that because I can get kind of flaky at times, right? He's asking God, Do you really know what you're doing? And God knows what he's doing. Verse 25 The same night the Lord said to him, Take the second also. All of a sudden, he's got Gideon's attention, and now it's time to actually, like, you know, it's one thing to, like, prove a sign and make an altar and all that, but that doesn't equate to, like, real good, positive, like, doing stuff for God action, right? And so now it's, you know, it's getting to be sort of go time here. The same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's 
proper, uh, I'm sorry, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So we learned something right there. Not only is Israel like worshiping these things, it seems like his dad is like the, one of the chief ministers of all this, right? And well-known townspeople uh, that that's like has their little church for Baal and the Asherah right there, right there on the farmstead. How handy. Uh, which also gives us a little more background of what Gideon had to navigate through uh, as, as, uh, as the least of his tribe. And I also wonder, we don't know this, but I wonder if by Gideon saying, I'm the least of my clan, if that really meant maybe he wasn't all on full board with all this prophet of Baal stuff and the Asherah poles, and maybe his family kind of gave him the cold shoulder because of it. But nonetheless, um, here's this altar to Baal and the Asherah pole right there on the property, right there on the farm. Uh, in verse 26, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon did it. He had 10 servants come with him. One of them was a snitch, apparently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Gideon did it. Where are we here? Son of Joash, verse 30. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. This is so strange. He has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the pole. This really does sort of depict the sorry state of Israel as a whole right here, right? You're supposed to be put to death for having worshiping Baal and Asherah, and now they're going to put you to death for serving God. What's going on, right? And so a beautiful thing happens here. Verse 31. This is incredible. This is kind of my Father's Day plug. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by mornings. He gets, he gets the law right. If Baal is really God, then he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. It's an amazing passage right there. Um, where to start? I think, first of all, a note to the children here. Sometimes mom and dad need a kick in the pants spiritually, right? There's a respectful way to do it and an honorable way to do it. But teens, if you see that mom and dad are just like riding the lukewarm wave or worse, it's okay to point it out. Because think about what happened here. Gideon stood up for what was right. He followed the angel. Dad got convicted. That could have went two different ways. Son could have died that day. This story would never be in the Bible, and God had had to figure out a different path. But what happened was Joash was like, dang, my son, he's got conviction. What's the matter with me? And he's like, man, i got to go throw it out with my kid here. First, I'm going to save his carcass, and then I'm going to tell these guys we're not following God. Remember, we just cried out to God, like, save us, and we're going to put my kid to death because we weren't. What's going on? This is crazy talk. And so everything gets recalibrated there, and it turns into a beautiful scene when it could have got pretty super ugly. But we see here that before 
Gideon could possibly go out and deal with the Midianites, which is what the angel's ultimate vision is, he's like, we got to take, we got to clean the inside of the house first. We got to do this, right? Uh, oddly enough, the, Israel, the Israelites cried out to God, but still found it fully appropriate to keep these, uh, these altars of Baal uh, around, which is so strange. It would be akin to uh, a guy starting to date a young lady and they're having a good relationship and time goes by and he's like, man, I just might, uh, I fancy this gal, so I, I might just, I'm going to ask her to marry me. So he proposes and she says yes. And after a couple years uh, of their whole relationship, now they're engaged and he says, man, I'm gonna, let's have dinner at your house. And so he goes over to her house where he's never been before somehow, but he walks in the door and he looks, the first thing he sees when he walks in the door are all these beautiful photographs of friends and what must be family because there she is standing with another guy and holding another guy and there's a guy, that same guy. And he's thinking, that must be your long lost brother or cousin or something. And so he's like, hey, Sally, what's the deal? Tell me about these pictures. Oh, that's just my old boyfriend. I just, it's memories. I like to keep them around, right? That would be awkward. That would, that's not right. That's unreasonable. And so here, same thing with, with Israel. They're like, oh, we'll just keep these altars up for an insurance policy for old time's sake or whatever their mentality was. Really, they just wanted, you know, they wanted to try to ride both sides of the fence there. And it just wasn't going to work. Uh, God wants intimacy with us always. But it requires devotion. We can't have other altars in our lives that are like built up and think God's cool with that. He's a jealous God in a good way. And if we want true intimacy with him, man, we gotta we gotta clear things out so God has a clean slate to work with. I think it is worth noting that these false gods were not only false gods, but again, they were entities that were centered around immediate prosperity versus godly virtue, which means holding sacrifice over gain and giving over taking. Um, let's continue in verse 33. Kind of went off my notes, so I want to make sure I didn't miss anything here. I think we're good. Okay, so this whole event in review, served as a way to unite Israel, right? They got some semblance of, okay, that's right, we're in this for God, we're together. And so uh, in verse 33, things continue. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped at the Valley of Jezreel. So as I mentioned earlier, here's the eighth year that these foreigners are going to come in and take all their stuff, right? Because the crops are up and it's that time. And so it's happening. And so here they come and Earlier it says they were just like, like they looked like locusts. There were so many of them with, with camels and this and that. And so here they come, and it says in verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they, they too went up to meet him. Gideon said to God, now this is where it gets a little strange again, so it's go time and everything's mobilized, but Gideon said to God, if you, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will, find, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. 
And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. That's a good sign. I'm thinking there's a green light. But, verse 39, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me make just, just one more request, right? Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, <clears throat> this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with the dew. Yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> so he went to bed. Verse 40, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. God came through, so that's throwing out a fleece, right? He's like, God, change natural laws just so I know. Like, and do it twice, because that first one, I don't know. This one's going to be tougher, right? So again, it's go time, but Gideon needs a little bit more assurance, right? He's struggling with a little more doubt. And really what Gideon was asking it was, God, do you really keep your promises? Do you really, are you really going to do what you said you were going to do? I know I've seen you do a lot recently, but I don't know. This one seems like a lot. And so preparing for this sermon, I read a bunch of commentaries about like people's regard toward Gideon. And quite frankly, a lot of them like heap criticism on Gideon. Like just like, man, that dude was flat out in sin. He should never do that. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Um, he should have fried twice by then, right? I'm not so sure, honestly. As I think about, as I think about Gideon, I don't know. I, I can't be on board with that. On one hand, Gideon, he, he already had his sign. He already had his promise. He already had a clear understanding of God's will. And he was putting the Lord to the test, which is a, a big no-no. We shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Um, on the other hand, man, Gideon, while, again, technically an Israelite, grew up in a pagan environment. And he had some knowledge of Old Testament law in that, but that wasn't his worldview. That wasn't his surrounding. This was just a guy trying to make his way in life. And then the next thing you know, like two weeks ago, he's just trying to get a handful of grain to make some bread. And now God's got him, what, leading an army? When, when literally his tribe was known as the least. Right? And while we know God uses people, the least of people, to do awesome things, how in the heck would he know that? It's just minding his own business. So I'm giving him a pass. Uh, in addition, just days ago, I mean, he was, I, I just, the proof is in the pudding. And the fact is, after all this was said and done, the dude got up and did God's will. And I think God was pumped about that. And I'm pretty pumped for Gideon. Uh, I feel like he needed extra assurance, right? To me, it's like just due diligence. Uh, he needed to know. It, it, he was asking to like change his whole life and risk his life, and he obviously cared about his family and like put them in harm's way to save them, and it, the upside looked kind of good, but man, the danger, things could go really bad. And so, God, just help me understand. I do that for things way less than this sort of situation. I remember when I was buying a house, right? The house we live in, after I knew I was going to buy that house, like I was kind of convinced it was a way to go. Man, I just wanted a period of, let me just let this sit for a while, right? Because if I just jump into this, that could be regarded as like, man, a hasty decision. You got to weigh it out. And I remember calling, the realtor was kind of ticked, the homeowner was a little bit, because I was asking the same questions a few times. I knew the answers. But I'm asking them, are you sure? Okay, so tell me about the septic system and when was that replaced and this and that. That still went bad, but that's a whole other sermon. 
But it, was, it wasn't until all that happened that I was like, okay, I'm going for it. I'm building this house, right? See, sometimes we just need a sign, not necessarily even to go and do something. Sometimes it's just nice to have a sign that, oh, God's still there. And sometimes those can happen in the midst of transition. Other times it just can be, a, man, life's kind of grindy right now. Oh, there's God. And we feel good about it. I've got an example of that. In my life, I've told the story back in 2011, 12, when we moved to Eau Claire about eight years ago, we were jacked up, my whole family, me at the leader of it. I was probably clinically depressed. I got fired from a job as a minister after a decade. I didn't know which way was up. We moved to Eau Claire, and I had to figure out life, right? And it was a bad time. Well, during that time, I listened to the band. One of my favorite bands of this day is called The National, right? And they've been around for a long time. They have hundreds of songs. And I adopted, they, they put out a new record, right, in 2012. So right when I'm in the prime of my misery, we'll call it, and they put out a record, and they're kind of known for like some melancholy, you know, dirges, if you will. And uh, their singer's like a baritone singer. And they put out this song, Graceless, it's called. And I latched onto that bad boy like a man with a broken heart latches onto a good love song, right? And it was just probably not the thing to do, but I did it. And uh, I want to read you some of these lyrics because it just like, you know, resonated with my sad, sorry state. And Graceless, is there a power to erase this? Is it dissolvable and tasteless? You can't imagine how I hate this. Graceless. I'm trying, but I'm graceless. Don't have a sunny side to face this. Am I invisible and weightless? You can't imagine how I hate this. Graceless. I'm trying, but I've gone through the glass again. Just come and find me. God loves everybody. Don't remind me. I took the medicine when I went... This is not a good Christian song. Uh, went missing. Just let me hear your voice. Just let me listen. Graceless. And then one other part says... You get the idea, but I... Uh, uh, All my thoughts of you, bullets through rotten fruit, come apart at the seams. Now I know what dying means. I'm not my rosy self, left my roses on the shelf, blah, blah, blah. You get get the picture. I was in a bad space, right? And I leaned into this song for comfort and whatever. And so years go by and things get better, right? We're getting better. I find my career and I got some traction and I wound up... uh, is sort of a little sub-business, going in cahoots with a very talented guy who builds wonderful guitars. His name's Gordy Bischoff, and we formed a little company where we make guitars out of recycled wood from the city. Eau Claire Guitar Works was born, and through circumstance, a really good friend of mine winds up working for the band The National, right? And they happen to be in town because they're involved with the music festival there, and they have some musical peers in town. And one thing leads to another, and I'm kind of connected with them. So their manager asked me to do a little bit of work for them, and that led to building a guitar for the band, which I was just pumped about. That year they won a Grammy, and I'm like, this is wonderful. And so I build this guitar, and it's done. And uh, just at that time, they were touring through the world, and they were coming into Chicago. And so they invited me to come and bring the guitar to them. And so I brought David, my son David, along. And we made a couple days out of it. David's a huge music fan. I'm a huge music, huge music fan. I'm excited about even telling the story. And so we take the guitar, we go down to Chicago, and they're playing this sold-out Chicago opera house that night. Uh, two nights in a row, and this was, I think, the first night. 
And we were invited to come and, and give the guitar and talk to him before the sound check. And I didn't know how it was going to go. I just I thought it might be just a cold exchange. But as it turns out, we got to meet the band. And I told them about the guitar. And it was a really good exchange. And they played the guitar during the sound check. And they loved the guitar. Dave and I were having a great time. So the show happens. It's, I don't know, 5,000 people. So eight seats. He's playing this instrument the whole time. Toward the end, Aaron, one of the leaders of the band, he, they get done playing his song, and they're like, hey, I just want to thank Tim from Old Claire Guitar Works. He's here. It's my birthday. This is like a great birthday present. He built this cool guitar, all this stuff. He says thanks, and they, he plays Graceless. <laughs> he just plays And I sat there, and, and just like, it was like one of those happiest moments. I'm weeping, but above all the, any other thing, it was just like me knowing God just saying, dude, I got your back. Walk with me, and I'm, I got you. We got this covered. Enjoy this moment in time. It was just a wonderful time between David and I, and it, I, it was just dreamy. But I saw that as an affirmation. So as we wrap up this thing here, um, i got to make sure I read everything. I think I did. I'm out of practice, so you're going to have to deal with this here. Um, yes, we're good. Um, man, did I, did I forget a whole thing? I think I'm all right. All right, so Gideon, let's get back to Gideon here. Gideon was asking, does God keep his promises? And he was just, I think Gideon was a man who was looking for due diligence. He was looking for acceptance from God, and he was looking to know that God was with him. That said, this whole putting out a fleece thing can be a slippery slope, right? A lot of times we can do something and the sign comes. That's rare. More often than not, when we go to God, like, God, give me a sign. God, open the door. It's either crickets, right? And then we start questioning, is God, are you up there at all? Number one. Number two, it can be like, yeah, there's a sign, but how do I discern that? Or number three, it can be we kind of wrap our own ideas in our own will I'm, you know, I've known a couple folks where God's will was always right in line with their desires, and it was super convenient, right? That kind of thing. Uh, but sometimes we can really let our own will get in. Like the girl who says, God, I prayed for you to have Mr. Wright come and ask me to dance, and I would know, but I didn't mean him, right? That's, he's clearly not my type, God. What are you thinking, right? And so things can be, get pretty confusing. So I have a short video I'd like to show, which I feel like articulates like, the nuances of throwing out a fleece, if you will, and what's, what's best. So let's play that if we can. Guidance. I'll tell you something. Years ago, when I was about 16 or 17, a friend of mine who I shared a, a room with I came in one day and he was reading the Bible and he said, Hadrian, guess what? And I said, what? And he said, he's showing me I should go to the Middle East. And I said, how is he showing you that? And he said, every time I open the Bible, there's a mention of Israel. I said, you're an idiot. Because even though I was caught up in the whole guidance thing as well, I thought that is going just a stretch too far. The problem is, when you're young, you really want to be guided. 
We had two metaphors we used in those days. Um, one was the thing about doors, which uh, a lot of people use. The Lord has opened this door, he's shut that door, he's gone up through the skylight, and he's come down through another skylight, you turn around and go back through the previous door. All that stuff. The other one was this one. Okay, he's a bit of a clown, this fellow fiddling around with his fleece. But of course, the original fleece, Gideon and his fleece, fleece has to be wet on a dry night, dry on a wet night, and all that. Very specific, because the job he was asked to do was so huge. Uh, nowadays, we seem to deal in a, a kind of maybe God is sort of possibly saying sort of culture in the Christian church. You imagine if Joseph had gone to see his house group leader and said, not that he had a dream about going to Egypt, but that he had a sort of feeling that maybe the Lord was saying he ought to uh, go to Egypt with the baby. And the jolly old house group leader would have said, it's wrong to go back to Egypt when you've been rescued and brought to the promised land, and it's wrong to be so lacking in courage and faith. Go to Herod, say, this is the Son of God, you can't harm us, and God will protect you. Will you do that? And Joseph would have said, yes, yes I will, and I repent of my fear and my cowardice. Think of St. Paul. St. Paul constantly prayed, stayed close to God, and made reasonable decisions. So he sets off for Bithynia. He's wrong, but it's not, it's not a, a sin to be wrong. And God stops him and says, no, don't go that way. Go this way. So there we are. Pray all the time. Stay close to God. Make logical, reasonable decisions and say to God, if I go wrong, please stop me. Change me. That's what guidance is about. All right. So as we transition into communion this morning, um, I want to encourage you all. It's okay to have doubts. Uh, it's okay to cry out to God. Probably don't put out a fleece. Uh, but what, what God is interested in more than anything is, is engagement. Um, the concern comes when we're just disengaged with God. When we hear those promptings and all that, and we, we don't lean into them, but we run the other way. And I'm reminded in, in Matthew 26, verse 42, even Jesus, he dealt with fear. And he dealt with the, the idea of, man, can, can, I, can I change this? God, let's have some dialogue is, is to see if this could go the other way. In verse 42 in Matthew 26, he says, he went away a second time and prayed, Father... If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. What he's really asking is, is there another option we can explore here? Now, ultimately, obviously, Jesus, he says he went and did it another time, and then he submitted to God's will. He found out what it was, and he did it. 
But the point I'm trying to make is, man, God is so patient and awesome with dealing with our nuance and allowing time and space for us to work out our issues. Don't feel like you've got enough issues that God is just not in tune with you anymore. He's in tune, but we just got to lean into him and connect to him. Amen? Let's pray.